Now, before we get started this morning, I'm just going to ask a question, and you've got to answer with a raised hand, okay? Any guesses on the topic of the message today? If you get it wrong, Elise, you're going to drop and give me 20, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. With a baby in one hand, I know you could do it. No, of course, we are going to the resurrection story this morning, right? I mean, how could we not discuss this crucial part of the greatest story that's ever been told? And, you know, sometimes I think about the story of Jesus and I wonder this. I think, wow, in terms of priority and, you know, what is the peak? Where, where do you place certain things? I mean, do we look at his his birth and the mystery of the virgin birth and all the miracles that surrounded the, the incredible drama surrounding his birth in Bethlehem and the appearance of the angels and all these things. Or how about Good Friday? I mean, Good Friday, we had a, we had a great service on Good Friday. Six churches joined together. We met up at Christian Life Assembly. There was close to 300 people there and just an awesome time to uh, remember the cross and I wonder, well, what about the story of the cross and the loving sacrifice that Jesus made for a world that was estranged from its creator? Or, of course, what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so, I, you know, I, I think of each part of the Jesus story and its vital importance to the sovereign plan of God and the way that he worked in the world to save the world through his son. And so my question this morning as we launch out is, where do we place the resurrection in the list? Where does it fit? Well, Paul did that for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said this. It's going to be up on the screen. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance. He said, here is the thing that is most important. What I also received. One, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Two, that he was buried. Three, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And four, that he appeared to Cephas then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You know, as I read that verse, we can see this, that, that Paul did not separate the facts of the Easter story and break them down in terms of priority, but he lumped them together as a unit. They're a battalion of facts. They can't be separated. A squadron of information, the regiment of truth. You don't break this apart ever. It's the gospel Brigade that has four inseparable, indivisible, indissoluble, indissolvable, uh, inextricable gospel facts, and they're truths that we do not negotiate on. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised, and he appeared. And Paul tells us about the different ones that he appeared to. And today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Resurrection Sunday, 
As Paul spoke those facts of the gospel, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, specifically about the resurrection. He said, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, 15, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. You know, last week we turned to the gospel of Matthew and I want to do that again this morning. Last week we were in, if you got your Bible, you can start to go to Matthew chapter 28. We looked at the story of uh, Palm Sunday and the account of King Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. How he was welcomed with the songs of Hosanna and the praise of the throng. And this morning we're going to once again turn to the gospel of Matthew and this time to chapter 28 where Matthew recounts for us some of the facts of the resurrection story. We pick it up in verse 1. He says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. This is a story we, we, we all know, but it's appropriate that we go over it again this morning. You know, as we know, just a couple of days before, Mary, Matthew actually tells us this detail, that Mary and Mary followed Joseph of Arimathea as he took Jesus' body to a tomb that had been carved out actually for himself, to the garden tomb. They went there and they watched across the garden as Joseph laid the body of Jesus in a hurried burial before the Passover began at dusk. Mary uh, Magdalene and the other Mary, Matthew says, uh, we're sitting opposite of the tomb and they actually sat there and they watched as Joseph took the stone and he rolled it over the entrance to the tomb and they watched him as he left the garden. Uh, on that Friday that Jesus was buried, the very last two people at the garden tomb were these two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The next day, of course, we know was the Sabbath. It was a day of rest. Jesus was resting. His work was finished. His body was resting, laying in that tomb. We know that the Sabbath restricted the, the movement of the Jewish people. And so no one attended to the body of Jesus that needed further care as it had been buried. And his lifeless body just lay there in the tomb. And though it was the Sabbath and and no one else was really moving around. They were sticking within their houses and their places of worship. Though it was the Sabbath, Matthew tells us that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, broke the Sabbath regulations and they went to pay a visit to Pilate. Uh, they went to that Roman fortress beside the Temple Mount, the fortress of Antonio, and they said to Pilate there, Sir, we remember that this man who was an imposter... While he was alive said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, we would ask that you would order that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal his body and, and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last fraud be worse than the first that he claimed to be the Messiah. And so Pilate put 50 soldiers at their disposal ordered them to go and make the tomb secure as they could. 
We know that they sealed the tomb and that the guard, these 50 soldiers were put in place. It's interesting that the Pharisees knew that Jesus had proclaimed that he would rise after three days. And his enemies were actually worried. The enemies of Jesus were worried about what would happen. He told them they would ri- he would rise after three days, but they were skeptical. Um, or his followers actually had been told that he would rise after three days, but they were skeptical. You know, like if, if the 12 disciples believed in what Jesus had taught them and proclaimed to them, you would think that they would have set up their tents right outside the tomb waiting for it all to happen. You know, it's just fascinating how sometimes under unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus can be at times more understanding of the power and reality of God than his own followers. You know, I'm so quick to unbelieve. You know, sometimes as the followers of Jesus, we get focused on all sorts of other different things. We get so full of theology. We get so full of doctrine. Those are good things, theology and doctrine. We argue about pre-trib, post-trib, Calvin, Wesley, this, that. We get all hung up on our denominational beliefs and we can spend so much time in the church warming the pew that our faith can begin to go numb. And I would say this to us this morning. This story is the greatest story ever told. I hope that as we go through it this morning, that that there would be wonder in our hearts and that our faith would be spurred on to serve the Lord. Because the reality is this, as you know, Jesus will change your life. This is the story of King Jesus, whom God has put all things under his feet. All things have been brought into subjection to him. This is the man from heaven who gave his life on a cross and was raised from the dead. For our salvation. You know the other day I was at my home. And I was sitting in the chair. And I was looking around the room. I had my Bible in my hands. And I was thinking about how faith can go numb. And I thought I wonder how many Bibles there are in this house of ours. I thought man you know I bet between Lise and I. And our three kids and the children's stories. Bibles and all that stuff. I bet there's I mean no exaggeration. 25 Bibles maybe? I'm sure many of your homes are the same. I thought, I wonder how many Bibles I can see around the room right now. And I looked and I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Bibles I could see from the spot where I was sitting. An old German one that came from Lisa's family, a, a Hebrew one, the daily readers that we have, my kid's comic, cook, comic book Bible, And I thought, oh, God, don't let my familiarity with the story breed a lethargic faith. And I would say this, our proficiency with the gospel story, the resurrection account, is not meant to give birth to a lifeless relationship with the king. The comfort zone is the death zone when it comes to Christianity And we need to come to the story with wonder. 
with awe and be amazed at the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, those two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, at the first opportunity made available to them, they went to see the tomb. They were motivated by their love for Jesus and they wanted to anoint his body. Check out verse two. It says this. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I mean, you can read that verse with so much familiarity and not stop and pause and see what it says. It's miraculous and we shouldn't lose the wonder of what's happening. There was an earthquake, man. Did you feel the shakers we've had, you know, the odd one here and there last little while here on the Sunshine Coast? A sudden violent shaking of the ground. As those ladies made their way to the tomb, there was a seismic upheaval in the city of Jerusalem. You know, in the story of the triumphal entry, last week we talked about this, that as Jesus came into the city and the people worshiped him and as he came towards Jerusalem and they were singing his praises and singing Hosanna, Matthew recorded this, that the heart of the people in the city was stirred and they said, who is this? Literally, Matthew was saying there was an earthquake in their hearts. There was a seismic upheaval in the heart of men and women in the city of Jerusalem as they asked this question about Jesus. Who is this man? And Jerusalem was shaken in the heart. That was in the hearts of men and women. But Matthew actually tells us about two violent earthquakes that shook uh, the city of Jerusalem that week. The first happened when Jesus was hanging on the cross to which he had been nailed. And as he gave that loud cry from the cross and surrendered his spirit, Matthew says the earth shook, that rocks split and that the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Not only that, but the tombs of many righteous people who had been laid in the dust, saints, opened and they came alive. They were resurrected, re resuscitated, and they came out of their tombs. After, and after the resurrection, they went into the city and they appeared to many. That was the first earthquake at Jesus' death on the cross. And when it happened, the centurion and those who were with him at the cross, keeping watch over him, saw the earthquake they saw what took place and they were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the son of God. And as Matthew tells it, it wasn't one centurion alone who made that confession. But all of those who were with him professed it as well. The second earthquake happened on the morning of the resurrection as these ladies made their way to the tomb. There was a great earthquake an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the entrance to the tomb and he sat on it. See, the earth shook first because it could not bear at the suffering of the Lord. And the earth shook at a second time because it could not stop his rising. 
You know, in the 1880s, there's recorded a, a powerful 7.3 magnitude earthquake that struck Charleston, South Carolina. You can read about it in history. It did incredible damage to that area. And one person described that earthquake this way. They said this. That he had a strange experience of feeling that he had nothing to stand up. Stand up. Nothing to stand up or hold on to. He looked at the most solid structures and they were toppling and they were falling. He rushed out into an open space and the firm ground was heaving. He looked to the great forest trees and they were swaying like reeds in the storm. The hills were reeling. The sea was rocking in a raging tumult. And it was only that when he looked up, he saw the firmament of the heaven and the stars and his eyes rested on something that was steadfast. Only when he looked up did he find something that was firm and steadfast. The psalmist said the same thing. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Many times in the scripture, God's judgment or his visitation is described by using the imagery of an earthquake. Or it's used to describe signs at the end of time. Many times in the scripture, an earthquake is a sign of God's presence or a sign of his revelation of himself. In the book of Exodus, when the law came down and, and the Ten Commandments were given to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, the book of Exodus tells us that the mountain rumbled and it quaked. When Jonathan and Faith took his armor bearer and said, we're going to go and fight those Philistines, Samuel records that the ground shook and terror gripped their hearts as, Samuel, as Jonathan struck them down. After Elijah killed the prophets of Baal and then fled in fear from Queen Jezebel, and he finally reached that place where he sat down under a tree to feel sorry for himself. God told him, come out and stand before me on the mountain of the Lord. And we read about Elijah's story that there was wind and that there was an earthquake and that before the Lord, the rocks broke to pieces, but that God was not in the earthquake and he was not in the wind, but in the still small voice that came after it. You know, there's another story of an earthquake of, that happened a few years ago and struck a small village and the hearts of everyone in the city were filled with, in, in the village were filled with fear except for one old woman whom to everyone seemed to be calm and even have joy. And so at length they came to her and they said, Whoa, what is going on with you? How in the midst of this can you have such great peace? Why are you not afraid? And she said this, I rejoice to know that I have a God who can shake the world. And you know, the resurrection story tells us this, that we serve a God who can shake the world. This earthquake at the resurrection of Jesus points us and tells us that, that what is unfolding here is something of cosmic significance. 
It is earth changing. It is life changing. And there is nothing in this earth or in the cosmos that could hinder Jesus from coming forth from that tomb. And the angel came down from heaven. He rolled back the stone, not to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. And then the angel hopped up on that stone and took a seat. Gotta love that picture, eh? Wonder if he had his legs crossed. Did you bring me coffee on your way here this morning? To the ladies, Mary and Mary. The angel sat there, and without a word, I would say this, as they saw him, he communicated this by his body language. This is the complete and final triumph of Jesus. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And there is victory in Jesus. He has poured out his life unto death. He is the Lord of sinful hearts, our great redeemer, now and forever the king of heaven, and we belong to him. What love God has shown through Jesus. The empty tomb, the assurance that God's accepted the work of the cross. Verse 3, it says this, his appearance, speaking of the angel, was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. This description of the angel sounds really familiar, you know, light, white and face like lightning and his clothes pure white, white as snow. And I mean, you have to love this. At, at the sight of him, these seasoned Roman guards who trembled before no one, trembled and quaked, a seismic upheaval within their hearts. The earth shook, but then they shook at the thought of God's work. And they dropped. I mean, it's divine poetry if you think about it. The earth shook, and then their hearts shook. Something seismic and significance happened in the hearts of these men, and they became like dead men. And you know, the resurrection of Jesus is like that for those who, who don't know him. If you think about the significance of the story, the resurrection of Jesus should be a, a, a subject of terror for those who serve sin. And a subject of consolation for those who are the children of God. Because the resurrection of Jesus is proof of the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that he paid the price for the sin of all mankind. And for the sinful, a resurrection, it points them to the fact that there will be a resurrection for them as well. One of shame and everlasting contempt. But for the child of God, there will be a resurrection of, of eternal glory and joy. And as you read this, you know, in the appearance of the angels, it's almost like there's a bookend here on the end of, of Matthew's gospel. This is, uh, we're coming to the climax of his gospel. And he reports what the angel communicated. Do not be afraid. 
It was the same message that the angels communicated to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem at the start of the book of Matthew. Do not be afraid. And that was the greeting to the women at the tomb. And it's not a stretch to say this. That's God's greeting to us today too. As we come to the tomb. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The angel said, I know you've come to seek Jesus who is crucified. You know, when we seek Jesus and we desire to live for him and we begin to make our way to the Lord Jesus, his scripture tells us that his, his desire is to make a dwelling place out of us, that we would become his temple, his habitation, his home. And you know, I might ask you this morning, can you say in your heart, I want to live for the king. Then the king would say to you this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we can say to him, come and make my heart your throne. Come and make my heart your home. And so the angel said, do not be afraid. Verse 6, he is not here. For he has risen as he, is, as he had said, come and see the place where he lay. They weren't expecting that. And you know, in a subtle way, we all need to hear gentle rebukes from the Lord at times. And it's almost like the angel delivers a gentle rebuke to these women. He says, you should have known. You're not here. He's, he, didn't he tell you that he would rise again? Didn't he tell you that he would go ahead of you into Galilee? He's not here. Come and see. And it's like this, this gentle rebuke. And these women heard what they weren't expecting to hear. He's not in the tomb. He's been raised to life. See the place where he lay. And specifically, Matthew tells us about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Because for these two women, there was absolutely no possibility of mistake. They had watched the body be placed into the tomb. Matthew told us they watched the stone be rolled in the front of the tomb by Joseph. And they were the last to leave the garden. And so there was no mistaking. And we just imagine that reality began to set into their heart that the cross was payment for the sin and the resurrection was the receipt paid in full from God. Jesus had given himself as a propitiation for the sin of mankind and the father had accepted his offering, his sacrifice. The, cro the cross was, was payment in full. Jesus paid it all. Verse 7, the angel says to them, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. The message was this. Come and see, then go and tell. And, and that message is always the message of the gospel. It's always this. First come and see, now go and tell. It's been said this, that those who are uh, 
used are the ones who gather around the body of Christ and desire to minister to the body of Christ, even as these women did. Why did God use these women? Because they came to the body of Christ. There's a neat picture here for us. You know, people say, often say things like this, I don't need to go to church. Uh, you know, I don't need to pray with other believers. I don't have time for fellowship. I'm okay by myself. And you know, when we take such attitudes, what you'll find in your life is that increasingly, uh, there will be something missing. Increasingly, the opportunity to move in the power of ministry and just serve the Lord uh, will begin to fade. It's been said, you know, if you, if you pull back, watch out. Interesting that the women went to a body that was dead to serve it, to anoint it. You know, people often say that about churches. You, we, we all heard people say that. Well, that body's dead. Why'd you keep going? They're dead there, man. You don't want to go to that church. They're dead. Have you ever been there? <laughs> people say things like that. And you know, think about Mary, the two Marys. That's what they thought. When they came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, they had no idea that he had been resurrected. Think about it. They were going to minister to a dead body. And that's why there's never an excuse to say, I'm not going to minister to those people or at that place because they're spiritually dead. If you want to be a servant like the women at the tomb, you minister faithfully regardless of what seems to be. And those two women, they showed up to minister to the body and look what happened as they left the tomb. Matthew said as they went, they were filled with, with fear, but they were also left with great joy. Great joy filled their hearts. As he, as he says that they, were, they left with fear, it's not fear as afraid, but fear as in afraid, but it's fear as in not wanting to displease God. They were told, come and see, now go and tell. And they didn't want to fail on that mission. A fear inspired them. Uh, their, their fear inspired them to trust God to do what they had been told to do. Come and see, now go and tell. And the angel assured them that they would see the resurrected Jesus. He wasn't simply raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead in order that his relationship with his disciple, with his disciples and with people could continue. He would meet the disciples and he would meet those women. They were to tell the disciples, go to Galilee and Jesus will meet you there as he told you before his death. So they ran to tell the disciples. And verse 9 says this, a highlight. And behold, Jesus met them. You know, what's really interesting in the gospel of Matthew struck me just in, in studying it over the last couple weeks is how many times Matthew says, behold, which means stop and think about this. This is the third or fourth time already in this short passage that he has said, behold, behold, stop and think about this. Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Wow, could you imagine? Could you imagine just to be leaving the garden and awestruck and there he meets you and you recognize him and he greets you. 
His greeting, where he just says greetings in, in the ESV here, can actually be translated grace to you, rejoice, or be glad. Ha! Huh. Do you imagine meeting Jesus and just, hey, be glad, be happy, grace to you. What a greeting from the Lord on that resurrection Sunday. And the women fell at his feet and they began to worship him. You know, less than an hour before, they, they were saying to themselves, the other gospels tell us as they traveled to the tomb, who will roll away the stone for us? How are we going to get access? Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? Because they thought Jesus was dead. And now they were at his feet, worshiping the risen Lord, compelled to worship the Savior. And Jesus received their worship. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The same thing the angel told them to do, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my disciples. I will meet them in Galilee. You know, I think about the night that Jesus was betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. What happened to the disciples? They split, man. John busted out of there so fast, he lost his clothes on the way, he tells us. Ran away naked. You know, while Jesus was being tried at the house of uh, Caiaphas and Annas, Peter was outside cursing and denying the only one that had followed him that far, and he was outside cursing and denying that he ever knew him. You know, if you were Jesus or in his sandals at that moment, you know, what would you tell those disciples at your resurrection? Go and tell them, don't be afraid and meet me in Galilee. Or, you know, go tell those losers to pull their socks up because I'm back. <laughs> Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says Jesus is coming and he's angry or something like that? He's mad. I think, man, pff, you have no idea that Jesus, that the Bible preaches. Because that is not the image of Jesus. I mean, I'm sure for the disciples, one of the initial emotions for them that they, when they heard that Jesus was alive was fear. Maybe they feared retribution because they recognized their own failure to believe. They were looking into themselves and seeing their own shortcomings and failures. But Jesus' word to them was this, do not be afraid. I want to meet with you. Meet me in Galilee. Go ahead and I will meet you there. You know, I just think about us. We, we have this tendency to want to teach people lessons. It's human nature. Straighten them out. Set them right. That's not the heart of Jesus. It was not his heart for his disciples. And I would say this, 100% confidence, it's not his heart for you. And the resurrection of Jesus was a, was a, from the dead was a world-shaking event and. And there is this sense that the world is still shaking and reeling from what happened that day 2,000 years ago. Shaking as a result of the good news of his death and resurrection. One of the greatest sources of evidence of Jesus' resurrection is what happened with the disciples. I mean, we see them in the Garden of Gethsemane and running in terror and fleeing for their lives and Peter denying Jesus and calling down curses upon himself. 
But what happened with those disciples after they saw the, the raised, the resurrected Jesus is incredible evidence for his resurrection. Minus Judas, who took his own life overcome with guilt and self-hatred for his betrayal of Jesus, the rest of the disciples, the other 11, spent their lives preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, going into all the world. Come and see and then go and tell became the pattern of their lives. Come and see, now go and tell. Except for the apostle John, all of them died as martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. And and John, we know his story. He, He lived well into his 90s, but at the end of his life was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. In the book of Acts at one point, we read that as the message of the gospel came to one city, the people in that city said, oh, these men who've turned the world upside down have come here now too. And the men that made that comment didn't understand that Jesus actually doesn't turn your world upside down. He turns it right side up. And I would say this to you this morning, if you've never surrendered to the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ, you may not yet recognize that your world is upside down until you bring him into it and he begins to turn it right side up. And when you invite him to be the king of your life, you invite him to be the Lord and the ruler, that's what he begins to do. He begins to take broken things and restore and heal and set things right. The story of the resurrection is so awesome. And we should never, ever grow numb to the account of that story. And this morning, as we consider it, I I, want to give that opportunity for you to invite Jesus to turn upside down things right side up, to create in you a new life. You know, Jesus is a gentleman and the scripture says that he does not force his way into our lives, but that he stands at the door of our lives, at the door of our heart, and he knocks. And he says that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to his life and eat with him and eat with me, meaning that we will have relationship with him. And when I consider this passage in Matthew chapter 28, two things come to mind for me from this story. One is the greeting that Jesus gave to the women when he met them. As they went to tell the disciples, he said greetings, which can, like I said, be translated grace to you, rejoice be glad. The second is his words, do not be afraid. And I think those two things tell us about Jesus' intentions towards you and I. See, what is Jesus' intentions towards me? What does he want? It's this, greetings, grace, rejoice, be glad, and do not be afraid. And this morning as we close, I I just want to pray. 
And I'd actually invite that maybe we could all say this prayer uh, together this morning, that, that you would uh, just repeat after me, if we could do that as a congregation. And for you as an individual, if you would personally like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life, then I would encourage you uh, just to, to pray with me. And in fact, I, I thought maybe we could just stand this morning. Can we stand and can we invite the King into our lives today? Would you guys pray with me? Remembering those four things that Paul said are absolutely inseparable facts that we have to accept. Let's pray. Jesus, I acknowledge that you died for my sin. You were buried. On the third day, God raised you from the dead. And you appeared to many. Jesus, I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me. I open the door of my heart to you. And I invite you in to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Father, this morning, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you, Lord, for your sovereign plan laid out before the foundations of the earth were laid. It's hard for us to imagine, but in your plan, in your will, you ordained that Jesus would come and save us, that he would give his life on the cross, that for, for the sins of mankind, that, that it, in the eyes of men that though everything appeared to have collapsed and been destroyed, that you would raise him from the dead and he would be shown victorious over sin and death. And Jesus, this morning, we thank you for the joy that we have as we consider your resurrection. As we consider the victory of the cross and that you've been raised from the dead, Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for your intentions towards us, which are peace, which are grace which are that we would be glad and not afraid. And I pray, God, that as you come into our lives and as we bow the knee of our hearts to you, that you drive out every fear. I pray, God, that as in a, fr as a, as in a fresh way this morning, we've come and we've seen, we've looked into the tomb. Now would you commission us and empower us to go and tell others. May we be faithful witnesses to that which we know. In Jesus' name, amen.